Okay, welcome to the Logically Faithful Show. This is Kaldun Swice with you. I have a very special guest today, one of my heroes and mentors, uh, J.P. Moreland. J.P. Uh, edited a book with me and Chad Meister on debating Christian theism with Oxford University Press, uh, 2011, which was an honor to work with him. Uh, let me give him the proper introductions here. Uh, JP is Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at Talbot School of Theology in Biola University in Lal Marada, California. So, sort of a paradise compared to what we have in Chicago today. Uh, I have, he has four earned degrees in, in uh, a BS in Chemistry from the University of Missouri. Uh, THM in Theology in Dallas Theological Seminary and MA in Philosophy from the University of California, Riverside. PhD in Philosophy from the University of Southern California. He has been an incredible inspiration to me in both in apologetics and philosophy and thinking deeply about my faith and why it matters that it's actually true, not just pragmatic to me. He's written a plethora of books. Uh, one of my favorites is The uh, Foundations of a Christian Worldview in addition to the Scaling the Secular City, which was uh, pivotal in my development, Body and Soul, and others. Uh, right now I have uh, the book on my shelf right now that I'm talking about and the one we'll be discussing just came out called Scientism and Secularism. JP, welcome to the show. It's so good to be with you, Calvin. JP, let's go ahead and get started with this. I want to um, uh, hit you with some of the discussion questions from the top in the field today, in the area of science and science, uh, secularism. So, uh, for example, Sean Carroll and others who are arguing about this argue that scientism, or naturalism as it's called in the field, has won the day. Uh, basically, the vast majority of colleges and universities in the world today have embraced naturalism, secularism, or methodological naturalism as the game of the day. This is how we do things. Basically, they have won. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, shouting that we won is not a substitute for an argument. And uh, uh, I want to see an argument, uh, and I'd like to know what it means they won. I mean, are we, do we take both? Is that how this is decided? Uh, I think uh, in the field of philosophy, uh, and as Christians, we want we want to hear the evidence and argument. And so I I wrote the book Scientism and Secularism uh, precisely because of people like this, and I wanted to equip believers, Calhoun, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to understand and recognize when scientism is being promoted, so they understand what it is. And they would be able to see why it's dangerous. And then finally, they would be handed a readable account of how to refute it and what's wrong with it. And so uh, I think the arguments are the real issue, not shouting and and. and, and counting votes or waving slogans. Of course, yes, I know. Uh, they had the Reason Rally a number of years ago where Richard Dawkins was actually advocating a form of um, ridicule uh, as a way to win the argument, which is sad coming from somebody of his uh, intellectual stature. Uh, 
It is. Now, let's go ahead and um, then let's do some arguments. So let's do what good philosophers are supposed to do. Let's define our terms. So when you say scientism, or I guess naturalism is a word of the day, but for now we'll use scientism, what exactly is that, and how is it different than science? Well, that's a great question. Let me just say, I love science. Uh, I thank God for it, and it's, uh, it's helped us tremendously. Science is what you see in a physics lab, or... Uh, what in geology uh, and things of that sort. But scientism uh, comes in two forms. It's first of all, strong scientism says that the only way that we can gain knowledge and truth about reality is through the methods of the hard sciences. Mm -hmm. So if you can empirically test something in physics, or chemistry, or neuroscience, then you can know it. But if it is if it is a claim from anything other than the hard sciences, then it's just personal opinion, hot air, as one person told me, <laughs> right. uh, blind faith, and is not to be taken seriously. Now, hmm. There is a second version of scientism called weak scientism, which at the end of the day really amounts to the same thing, but it, it says that there may be some minimally uh, justified claims outside the hard sciences, so they'll grant minimum rationality to other fields, but the Claims that are made in the hard sciences are so vastly superior to the minimally justified claims made in other fields, should there be a conflict, let's say between neuroscientific claims that there's no soul and philosophical claims and theological claims that there is a soul, science always trumps. Hard science always trumps. Hmm. And so uh, scientism at the end of the day, in either form, is really an epistemological standpoint. And it is, uh, it is actually a, a sub-branch of, of philosophy, uh, and that's what it is. And this sub-branch sub of philosophy seems to be the way the current scientific establishment is dealing with the hard sciences in neurophysics or chemistry and other fields. Uh, how, then, is this a danger, uh, a dangerous perspective to take? I have so many students and others who tell me on a regular basis they can't believe religious claims of epistemology or claims about, uh, claims about ethics in an objective sense because they can't, quote, prove them, unquote. So they're, in a sense, buying into this scientism that you have defined. So how would you articulate the problem with that? What is, in your book, you discuss it, I think it's chapter three, uh, why it's self-refuting and why it's problematic. Can you uh, dive into that? Yeah, so before I go into the critiques of it, uh, let me answer your question as to what's wrong with it. Um, it is on the basis of knowledge that we give people the authority to speak and act in public. And it's on the basis of knowledge that people have boldness and confidence and courage to make their claims. Let me illustrate. Um, we give dentists 
the authority to speak in any venue. It could be a social club, uh, it could be a, a local uh, political gathering, it could be in a university. They have the right to stand up and, and speak about molars and teeth and to define an aspect of reality, uh, namely the way teeth are and how they function. Right. Because, because we deed them the relevant knowledge. They can also act in public with authority. They can put their hands in your mouths and drill on your teeth mm-hmm. uh, because they have the relevant knowledge and they have the confidence to do so. Now, um, if scientism in either form is correct, then there is no knowledge outside of the hard sciences, which means that uh, uh, Christian claims, uh, philosophical claims, claims in the humanities, and ethics are claims that simply cannot be known one way or the other, and so they can be eas- they can be dismissed as mere expressions of emotion and idle opinions. So what's happened? I mean, you've witnessed the people who've said, well, look, you can't prove that scientifically, and that's what, and they're presupposing scientism without knowing it. Now, the right. danger of this is that it marginalizes uh, uh, religion, Christianity, and morality to uh, a privatized personal expression of emotion that is marginalized from the public square and it has no authority behind it. So um, as a result, people are confident that they can completely dismiss and disregard uh, the gospel uh, moral assertions uh, because there's no reason to believe them. Mm-hmm. This has led to two things. First of all, it is causing uh, younger people to abandon the church and Christianity. A Barna poll was just done a few years ago as to why millennials are abandoning the church and even becoming agnostics and atheists. They were shocked when they found, because they thought maybe it was that just small groups weren't good or worship wasn't good. They discovered that the top six reasons were all intellectual. Mm-hmm. Come to church, I can't express a doubt, or I'm, I'm marginalized and shunned. When I do get answers to my questions, they're poor, and they don't make sense. The teaching is shallow. The church doesn't equip me to deal with science and how it relates to my Christian views. When it comes to the society, it has led to postmodern relativism because uh, ethical claims cannot be uh, verified in hard science. Therefore, uh, you and your group can have any moral views they want to hold, and nobody can judge they're wrong because nobody knows one way or the other what's right. And so Mm -hmm. modern tolerance, which means that you're not allowed to tell somebody else that their views are ethically wrong, uh, is the the ideology of the day. Religious pluralism then becomes the ideology of the day, 
And the idea is that whatever religious views and ethical views are true for you, great. They're true for you. Just don't try to put them on somebody else because you don't know if they're true or not, and you don't have a right to, to try to proclaim them to the rest of us. That's the problem okay. with scientism, and that's why we have to start equipping parents, uh, youth leaders, pastors, and Christian school teachers about what this dangerous ideology is, how to recognize it, and how to refute it. This is not, Calhoun, I'll quit, quit with this. Mm -hmm. Dealing with scientism is not just an interesting little hobby horse that people who like apologetics and philosophy uh, will be excited to get into. No, this is now damaging the church and the culture, and Christians have a duty to know what this is and how to respond to it. You have articulated there one of the major paradigms that has been accepted by the, the, the secular arena we live in, uh, in the media, the academia, Hollywood, etc. Those are the top three branches that seem to control the movers and shakers and thinkers in the field, and the government, of course, as well, would fall into that brown. Um, so we do need to address this in a rational way and in an attractive and winsome fashion. Your book is uh, highly recommended for this. So one of the ways you have done this is to show that scientism itself is self-refuting. Can you unpack that? Yeah, strong scientism is self-refuting. Because uh, the statement, the only thing that you can know to be, it, it, to be true about reality is what can be proven in the hard sciences, cannot itself be proven in the hard sciences. <laughs> so by its own standards, it fails to be knowledge and truth. I had a gentleman at, a, at a, an evangelistic engagement I was giving who had a PhD in uh, physics from Johns Hopkins who hated Christianity, and he came up to me before the meeting and said, I understand you're a philosopher. And I uh -huh. said, well, I give it my best shot. And he said, yeah, I used to be interested in that stuff when I was a teenager. <laughs> but when I got educated and, and matured intellectually, I began to realize that if you can't quantify your data and test it in the lab, it's nothing but a bunch of hot air and idle opinion. Well, I let him go for two minutes or so. Uh -huh. And I stopped him and I said, I'm, I'm confused. You've made about 20 assertions in the last two or three minutes, and I can't think of a single one of them that could be tested and proven in the lab. If I'm wrong, tell me which one it was. Hmm. And if I'm wrong, do you see my dilemma? It follows, sir, by your own standards that what you've been spewing for the last two or three minutes is nothing but hot air and idle opinion. Wow. That is the self-refuting nature, not of weak scientism, but of strong scientism. And what was the um, this type of mentality that we are approached with, where people come across as saying that I only believe the hard sciences, but they're bringing in, they're smuggling in, there's these presuppositions that are not based on their own theory. Uh, Absolutely not. They they fail to live up to their own standards, and so by their own standards. They're judged to be irrational. 
So claiming, um, for example, I can't speak a word of English is itself self-refuting because I just did it. Uh, yes. <laughs> with the issue of scientism then is, is um, leads us then to the next, uh, I think the chapter in your book where you talk about that scientism is the enemy of science. Now, yeah. if science by definition is the study of the natural world, or as Newton would say, God had created two books, the, the book of Revelation, the, the natural book. We're studying the natural book that God created. Aren't we going to use natural methods, natural methodologies to do that? Why is scientism, per se, or methodological science, uh, naturalism, maybe I could get a little more technical there, um, a problem for science or All scientists? Right. right. Uh, and this next objection works against both strong and weak scientism, and here it is. Science is based upon a whole range of assumptions. Uh, science can be no better than the assumptions on which it rests, as, okay. as with any theory. If its assumptions are weak, the theory can't be rationally strong. Uh, so your assumptions have to be more epistemically secure than any theory that rests on it. Now, all the assumptions of science today have been called into question and challenged by a large number of people in the university. For example, um, science presupposes that the laws of logic and mathematics are true. Yes. But they can't be proven scientifically. They're known in a way that's called an a priori knowledge, whereas science is based on sense experience, logic and math are not. Science presupposes a certain understanding of what knowledge is and of what truth is. But those are philosophical issues. Uh, science presupposes a, the absolute moral value. Uh, report your test results honestly and do not lie about them. Right. Science would collapse if that if that assumption is not a legitimate one. How would we prove that assumption scientifically? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You can't prove it's a normative assertion. Yes. And I could go on, but there are, in my book, I list like nine or ten assumptions of science mm -hmm. and show why they cannot be proven scientifically. So what, what weak scientism and even strong scientism do is by... by uh, you can only state and defend the assumptions of science in the field of philosophy. That's the field that does that. Mm -hmm. Philosophy of science is what it's called. By weakening the stating and defending of the assumptions of science, scientism actually weakens the authority of science. Now, your listener may think, well... Even if the assumptions of science are wrong, science is doing a pretty darn good job. Right. My response to that would be that if these assumptions of science aren't legitimate, aren't rational, then we should take the advances of science in an anti-realist way, not a realist way. If we took them in a realist way, we would understand them as giving approximately true descriptions of a real external world. Well, that's off the table if the assumptions of science aren't, aren't rational. Uh, what we would have to do would be to take scientific success in an anti-realist way, which means that science is a, is a pragmatically useful set of practices 
that allow us to develop technology and accurately predict phenomena, but that has nothing to do, says the anti-realist, with scientific theories being approximately true or the entities they postulate being real. Hmm. That's the second problem with both forms of scientism. There's a third one that I'd like to mention, if you don't mind. Sure, go for it. There are things that we know outside of science, hard science, with greater certainty than some of the claims we know inside science. For example, we know the truths of logic and mathematics with far greater certainty than we know the theories of physics or chemistry. In fact, we know certain ethical claims outside science with greater certainty than some of the things we know in physics and chemistry. I'll give you an illustration. Okay. Do I have time for this? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was uh, in the hospital nine days recovering from colon cancer surgery, and a nurse and her crew came in, and the nurse said to check my vitals, and the nurse said, well, tell me, what do you do? And I said, well, I was a physical chemistry major in college, but then I went on and did a graduate degree in theology and an MA and PhD in philosophy. I'm a philosophy professor. She got an odd look on her face. <laughs> and she said, well, that's really interesting. And I said, well, let me tell you what I think you're thinking right now. And you tell me whether I'm, I'm right or wrong. And she said, okay. I said, you're thinking that I started off in a field, chemistry, where you can really know hard facts and you can prove what you believe. And I gave that up for fields like theology and religion, where nobody knows anything and it's just kind of different people expressing their opinions. Her jaw dropped, and she looked at me and said, that's exactly what I was thinking. She <laughs> said, well, do you know that I have greater rational certainty that torturing little babies for the fun of it is wrong in ethics than I do that there are such things as electrons? She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you ask me do electrons exist, I'm going to ask you... What theory of the electron did you mean? Do you mean J.J. Thompson's theory? Do you mean German wave theory? Uh Do you mean the theory that the electron exerts a force by creating a vortex in the ether? Do you mean the Bohr electron? Do you mean the quantum electron? Which one do you mean? And I said, the point I'm making is that the history of the electron has changed so dramatically five, six, seven times that we no longer believe there are such things as Bohr electrons. Now, this was the punchline. I said, don't you think it's possible that 50 years from now we will discover new evidence such that it will no longer be reasonable to believe that electrons, as we currently understand them, exist? Well, she said, sure, that could happen. But I said, you, I cannot think of any rational evidence that we discover in the next 50 years that would show the ethical claim, torturing little babies for the fun of it is wrong, is no longer a rational belief to hold. Hmm. I could simply conceive of culture not believing it, but it wouldn't be reasonable for them not to. So I am more certain that that ethical theory is rational and will not be revised 
But if you ask me if electrons exist, I assume you mean the current quantum electron. I, I think so, but I'll tell you, it wouldn't surprise me in 50 years if uh, I was wrong. And there is no such thing as a quantum electron. Well, there are claims in ethics, mm -hmm. there are claims in theology that we know with greater certainty that God exists because of the origin of the universe and things of that sort, then we know a number, of, a number of claims that are made in the hard sciences. And so that's another problem mm -hmm. that cannot be uh, accounted for by scientism. So in my book, I make a plea. Why not just develop a theory of knowledge that allows us to know all the things that we actually know, mm -hmm. even if they're not scientifically testable. So what? If there are good arguments for them and the, the position is more reasonable than its denial, we should believe it, whether it's physics, chemistry, theology, ethics, philosophy, or what have you. Wow, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in that room. Uh, <laughs> I imagine so. The the claims that you're making, JP, I want to uh, take this down and start landing this plane here. Uh, you're listening to Logically Faithful. This is Keldun Swires. My guest is JP Moreland. We're discussing his latest book, Scientism and Secularism. And we're starting to wrap this up. The the uh, In the book itself, you claim an epistemological knowledge of is questionable if that claim itself doesn't have evidence behind it. Our epistemological knowledge is questionable if it doesn't have evidence behind it. We call that the um, the a priori knowledge that we have. We assume certain things are true. Um, but now let's bring this back now to faith. Let's bring this, um, let's, let's bridge it. Well, faith, go ahead. Uh, faith as a, as a doctrine, as a thought process, would you consider that, or the, the claims of faith, the dogmas of faith, like God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, uh, Jesus rose from the dead is a faith claim, but it's also an empirical claim in a sense that has historical relevance, and um, we can verify some kind of reasonable archaeological and historical variations on that. But the question comes down to, is, do you notice, do you admit that there's a difference between the hard sciences and claims of theology and religion? Is one more knowledge than other, um, one more provable than another, and why is this not, and uh, of course I'm looking at this to a second question that you have addressed in your book, um, the God in the gaps issue, where we fill in the claim, I don't know it, therefore it must be spiritual, it must be the soul, it must be God. I know I threw in a lot there, but if you could just uh, bat some of those out as we, as we continue. Here's the quick answer. I elaborated on it in Scientism and Secularism. The quick answer is that you can't make any general assertions of that sort about science relative to philosophy and theology. You have to take the specific scientific claim and weigh it against specific theological claim. For example, I know that the resurrection of Jesus and the New Testament documents are historically reliable, and I know that the arguments for God's existence make it such that we can know that there's a God with greater certainty than I know that the current model of the electron is true. Mm -hmm. So, uh, now there's some claims in science, I believe, uh, in theology, I believe that uh, eternal security is true, uh, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist, right. uh, 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 and so on. I, I, I take those to be reasonable, but with a lesser degree of certainty that I know that Christianity 
mere Christianity is true. There are some claims in science that I think are pretty solid, but there are others that are pragmatically useful, and so nothing helpful can be said about these two ways of knowing. Uh, I will say that logic and mathematics are the ideal way of knowing, and they are not empirical science. They are uh, philosophical forms of knowing. And in my book, Caldoun, I lay all of this out in what I hope is a readable way. Yes, I, I, I recommend that highly for people. I'm just um, I'm trying to land the plain JP in a way that is connected to the people who are reading this and, and struggling in their science classes in the secular realm, where they tell them, if I can't prove it, then it's not true. But of course, you've addressed that by saying there are assumptions in that that are philosophical in their very nature. Um, all those have them. So religious folk have them, and as well as scientific folk have them. Everybody has a presupposition. The question is, which one is more reasonable? Now, why JPU on a personal level? Do you seem to integrate those in your own life and find a cohesion or coherence between those? As well, well uh, it's because um, the assumptions of science uh, are, are much more at home in a theistic universe than they are in a naturalistic universe. And I show that in the book, but for me, Caldoun, mm-hmm. the modern definition of faith is the arbitrary choice to just believe something, whereas the biblical definition is trust or confidence based on what we know. And so knowledge is the basis of faith in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the reasons for believing in what I call mere Christianity, that there's a God, that the fundamental claims about Jesus are historically solid, and I believe that we have enough evidence to actually claim that even though we might be mistaken, we can actually know that Christianity is true. Knowledge doesn't require certainty. Uh, It it is defeasible. Uh, But the point is that that provides me a tremendous ground of stability and courage in my witness and boldness and, and uh, comfort. If I'm suffering, I went through three years of terrible cancer, yes. but I thought I was there. And uh, that provided deep counseling and emotional security for me. That's great. And, and, and you do believe it because you believe it's true. It's knowledge-based. Not because it brings you that comfort, which is a second-hand benefit of it. And I, and I actually know it's true. I don't just believe it's true. Wow. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I strongly recommend the book, Scientism and Secularism by J.P. Moreland. And I thank you, J.P., for being with me and discussing this uh, incredibly important issue. My privilege.